Fathers sometimes get a bad rap, and many of you, probably most of you in this room are fathers. Churches sometimes spend Mother's Day bragging on mom and Father's Day beating up dad. One little boy, he said, Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, except you don't spend as much on the gift. And one dad in that audience, he said, what gift? Now, I'm not responsible for American humorists. I live in a different country, but a couple of yours, one of them, Mark Twain, very popular. Mark Twain said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant that I could hardly stand to have the, whole man, the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much that old man had learned in just seven years. And one of your American humorists said, now that my father is a grandfather, he just can't wait to give money to my kids. But when I was a kid and I asked him for 50 cents, he'd tell me the story of his whole life. How he get up at 5 a.m. when he was seven years old and he walked 23 miles to milk 90 cows and the farmer for whom he worked had no bucket so he had to squirt the milk into his little hand and then walk eight miles to the nearest can. All for five cents. And the result was I never got my 50 cents. But now he tells my kids every time he comes into the house, well, let's see how much money old granddad has for his wonderful grandkids. And the minute they take that money out of his hands, I call them over to me and I snatch it away because that's my money. <laughs> I love it. I relate to it. <laughs> there are sayings that we associate with our dads and these are some of the sayings you've used with your kids. And there actually is an article existing called The World According to Fathers. And it gives us the top 10 dad quotes of all time. What part of no don't you understand? This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Why? Because I said so. I wasn't asleep, I was just resting my eyes. Shut the door, were you born in a barn? A little dirt never hurt anyone. As long as you live under my roof, you'll live by my rules. And the top three, I just love these. I'm not made out of money. Don't make me stop this car. And the number one dad quote of all time, ask your mother. <laughs> now, you're looking at the fulfillment of this scripture in this pulpit today, Proverbs 17 and 6. Children's children are the crown of old men. And the glory of children are their fathers. One new translation simply renders the last half of that verse. Grandparents are proud of their grandchildren. I am a living fulfillment of that verse. I love my children and their children. But gentlemen, the New Testament challenges us to see the word father 
not as a noun, but as a verb. Let's just talk. It's men's conference, and you're the mature ones here. It's biologically easy to become a father. But it's biblically challenging to actually father our kids. The Bible very clearly challenges not mothers, but fathers to be the spiritual leadership in our homes. Because the ultimate responsibility for what your family becomes is not your wife's responsibility. It is your responsibility. In writing to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, the great theologian of the first century, the author of so much of the New Testament, he actually compares his role as an apostle, and we think that's a pretty big deal. He compares his role as an apostle to the role filled by a dad, because no one can take the unique place of a dad. 1 Corinthians 4 and 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Brother Carson gave the young ministers such a powerful principle this morning when they gathered downstairs. That it has to be in ministry more about people than about, about pulpit. If you're a minister in this room, it's the people that go into eternity, not your pulpit, not your preaching, not your social media followers, not your YouTube channel, not your church building. It's those people that go into eternity. And Paul said, you've got a lot of people that would like to instruct you. And can I tell you that it's a wonderful thing, this interconnected online internet world where you can go through a, a hundred churches and hear a thousand preachers any day of the week. I often walk into our house when I come home from the church or wherever I've been and I just, first question just about who's hollering? It's some preacher Beverly's listening to. I don't know where they're from. I walk into my house all the time and there are men yelling at my wife all the time. <laughs> But here's what Paul said. You can have 10,000 instructors. Gentlemen, the most important voice in your life as far as who you are submitted to is not some Canadian that flew in late on Air Canada and showed up at your men's conference. The most important voice you need to submit to is your pastor in your local church where you are accountable, where you are known in a family of believers. The word church is used throughout the New Testament. Only two times does it refer to the church universal, the church global, the church around the world. Every other time the word church is used in the New Testament, it's a local church. It's a local body of believers. And so you leading your family, not just to attend your church, not even just to be faithful to the services of your church, but to be integrally involved in your church, that is a huge, huge decision. One of the most important you will ever make. And speaking of ministry, Paul said you've got all kinds of instructors, but you don't have many fathers. You don't have many people that will get up close and invest in you. And he has a right to say that. 
Paul addressed over half of his writing, it was either two young ministers or from him and a young minister. He just constantly was investing in the next generation. But he compares this role in his ministry to your role in your home, your role as a husband, and specifically your role as a father. And Paul is relentlessly consistent in the New Testament. And if you kind of pay attention to any scripture text this morning, if we were going to pull a text out of all this scripture, it would be 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And two verses. And I think he sums it up here more concisely than anywhere else in the New Testament. Although his song never changes. His sermon never changes. He says, as you know, how we exhorted. Everyone say exhorted. And we comforted. Everyone say comforted. And we charged. Everyone say charged. He said, these are the three things that I was always involved in as I was trying to mentor people. I wasn't just one of the 10,000 instructors that showed up and preached a masterpiece of a message. No, I was somebody that got up close and invested in people. And you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, watch, as a father doth his children. So we esteem our pastors because they lead our churches and they lead our families. But there's an intermediary between your pastor and your family, and that is you. Your job as a father spiritually is to take the direction of your pastor and your local church and take that home after every service and make sure your family knows that you are 100% invested in that church. That you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. If you want to be a worthy follower of Jesus Christ, this is what you're going to involve your life in as regards your family. For our media team, if you'd just back up to verse 11 one more time. So Paul uses three words here. He says, we exhorted and we comforted and we charged every one of you. And then he says, and it's like a father should do for his own children. The word exhort here means to call near, to bring somebody near, to call them beside you. The word comfort means to come near. So you're not calling them to you, you're going to them. You're coming near to them. And the word charge means to testify to somebody. So if I back up, to exhort is to call near. To comfort is to come near, and to, to charge is to testify to somebody, to, to, to give them instruction, but not just instruction out of your mouth, instruction out of your life. And so these are the roles of the apostle, but he said, but, but I did this as a father does it for his children. I was a father to young ministers and to churches, but you're a father in your home. And a father in his home shouldn't be all that much different than an apostle raising up young ministers. This is his image. So, to exhort, that's to call near. Can I give you a word here? Engagement. To engage your children in what you are doing 
and how you are living and your activity. There is nothing that impacts your kids more than your engagement that you would call them near to you. We live in an era where we go to restaurants and everybody in the restaurant around every table just about isn't talking to the people at their table. They're all on their phone texting somebody that maybe lives in another state or another country. And we can pick on that. I, I, I like this. This got me here yesterday. I would not have found this place with a map unfolded in the car and the atlas and I, I wouldn't have got here. I'd have had a, a wreck. So I'm thankful for technology, but technology is our greatest friend and our greatest enemy all at the same time, because you can bury yourself in your online world and neglect your family world, your home world, your marriage world. You can bury yourself in media and entertainment and sports to the exclusion of the family that God gave you to lead. You are the leader, the priest, if I can use this word, the bishop over your little home. You, you, you are the person that is most responsible for them. So the word exhort is actually used, the, the Greek word here is used of the Holy Ghost. That the Holy Ghost calls us near. I thank God for the day when the Holy Ghost reached out and grabbed a 12-year-old boy that had grown up in church and just kind of knew all the ropes but needed his own relationship with God. And I still remember the night. I can take you to the little brick building with the handmade plywood pews and the paneled walls. I can take you to the spot where I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost Praying in a prayer room downstairs in the basement on a wooden and metal chair, brown and blue, two spaces down from the church kitchen door. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember crawling out of that baptismal tank when I was 12. I am so grateful for when the Holy Ghost called me close. But it's my job as a dad, not as a preacher, not as a church leader. It's my job as a dad to exhort my family, to call them near. That's what the word means, to engage them in what I am doing. This past Sunday, I had the honor of marking 20 years of Pastor Jack and Kathy Lehman at Capital Community Church. And uh, he's our lead pastor now. And, but they've worked with us for 20 years there. And Jack's parents were there, Victor and Judy Lehman. And it means so much to me. They're getting older now. Um, they're not way ahead of me, which is a startling thing, but they're getting older now. But Victor and Judy, I, I felt like I knew them because I knew Jack. Jack learned to follow his mom and dad when he was just a little guy. They were the ones that cleaned the church. They were the ones that turned out the lights. They were the ones that locked the door. They were the ones that volunteered for everything. And he is the leader that he is because of the investment of a father who he followed, a father that called him close. That's the word exhort, to call near, to engage. You are to bring your children, bring your wife, bring your family into your orbit. That doesn't mean you take them to work. That means when you get home from work, you're ready to engage them, call them to you. And, and don't make it 
that your wife has to force you out of the lazy boy and make you lay down the newspaper and make you spend time with your kids. That is your holy obligation and responsibility as a father to engage them in your life. There's a thousand excuses. I'm tired. I, I listen to people talk all day. No excuses. You're an apostolic man. And the second word Paul uses, he said, you know how we exhorted you and we comforted you. That word means to come near. It means not to engage, but to go to them and encourage. And it's also used of the Holy Ghost. I know, men, we, we like the, the John Wayne, tough, individual, rugged, we, we like that. But the truth is that you should be the first one to see when your kids are hurting or confused or they need your guidance. They just need you to lean in. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be concerned enough to lean in and ask what's wrong. A lot of times, if they're apostolic kids, they'll eventually figure out the answer on their own. They've got pastor's voice, they've got the church, they've got the youth group, but they need dad in addition to all of that stuff. I would argue they need dad primarily as a connector to all of that stuff. And if they can go through a crisis, a tragedy, and you not be aware of it, brothers, you're not doing your job. It is your job to lean in and comfort them. And let's just depart from the children for a while. And let's talk about your wife. Your wife should not have to come to you after months and months of disconnection and frustration and, and just kind of, you know, her going through all of this stuff and make you aware of it. If you'll pray and you'll pray over your family and you'll pray for your wife and for your children, the Holy Ghost will let you know you need to lean in close right now. I'm not talking about pie in the sky. This is only for a few select spiritual superheroes. This is the role of a father according to Scripture. And finally, the word is to charge. Paul said, we exhorted you and we comforted you and we charged everyone. So to exhort, that's to engage them in your life. To comfort, that's to encourage them in their life. But to testify, that's to be an example to them. That's that if they, see the, the model of the New Testament is different than the model in church today. If you listen to a lot of preachers in church today, here's what you'll hear over and over. It just, oh, it grates me. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Don't follow me. Follow Jesus. That's not the New Testament model. I'm sorry. The New Testament model is follow me as I follow Christ. The New Testament model, Paul said, follow me and you can mark everyone that's walking like me as an example and use them too. Paul said, if you'll do what I do, you'll make heaven your home. If you live like I live, you're going to please God. And so, see, see, we want to hide. The reason so many men are so passive in every area and then they come alive when they watch some kind of sporting event or some kind of wrestling match or some kind of competitive thing is because they're trying to live their life vicariously through their sports heroes and through all of that because that's the only action that they ever get because they're bored to death. They are chilled out, zoned out. That's not the will of God for you. 
Whatever your job is, you do it as unto the Lord, knowing you're working for his kingdom, not just for your paycheck. Whatever your role is in your local church, you find it, you put it in your hand, and whatever's in your hand, you do it with your might. You do it as if Jesus was gonna check up on you on Wednesday night and Sunday. Because that's actually the truth. See, the New Testament model is, if you live like I live, if you pray like I pray, if you serve God like I serve God, if you live your convictions like I live mine, you'll please God. And I know, it's 2022. Oh, uh, don't follow me, follow Jesus. That's a cop-out for an apostolic man of God. I know the televangelists say it all the time. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. They don't want you to know what they're doing with their bank account. That's why they say that. But for you, you're apostolic. You don't get such a pass. Follow me as I follow Christ. So, so when Paul uses this word charge or testify or be an example, he's using it as a father. He said, dad, father, husband, in your home, you're the example. Not your wife. Oh yeah, she's supposed to be an example too. But her example is under yours. You are the priest of your home. What is the goal? Paul said, we exhorted and we comforted and we charged every one of you like a father does his children. And the goal is the next verse, that you would walk worthy of God, that you'd walk with Jesus, that you'd serve him because he's called you. There's one very important instruction given to fathers in the New Testament. It's basically the big one. It says, we are not to provoke our children to anger. Now, the Greek term there means to anger alongside. Paul knew, the Bible knows, the Holy Ghost knows, there will be time that your children get angry with you and there's nothing you can do about it and there's nothing you did to cause it. But it's not talking about that. This is to anger alongside. It literally has a very particular meaning. And what it means is your children, your kids, learn to act and react by watching how you act and react as you lead the home. Everybody knows that women have a million emotional states. Uh, goodness. Uh, my wife can be happy, cheerful, joyous, giddy, silly. Uh, I'm just either content or mad. Men have like two emotional states. Either all's good or all's bad. It's just how we are. It's how we're wired. But children learn to act and react to life by watching you, Dad. Your wife learns how to interact and, and act and react with you based on how you do it with her. Now, you can blame her or you can realize God called you to be the priest of your home. Amen. The leader of your home. So, so here it is. This is Paul. He, he doesn't let up. Ephesians 6 and 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3.21, he doesn't let up. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So what Paul's saying to us is, guys, your anger is contagious. You can wreck your marriage just by getting angry at something. 
It doesn't matter whether your anger is expressed and it blows up all over your family or whether your anger is repressed and you hold it all in. I'm not a psychologist, but I like this definition because I've observed it in the lives of dozens and dozens of people that depression is anger turned inward. So it doesn't matter whether you're the sullen guy who doesn't speak when he gets mad or whether you're the temper guy that throws a little juvenile tantrum every time he gets mad. You are damaging your family, your marriage, and your children. You are damaging your future and your legacy every time you lose it. How is it that men who say they're following Jesus... Don't lose it in the Holy Ghost. Oh, they're calm, cool, collected, just kind of pew potatoes. They, they hold it all together in church, but then they lose it in a moment of anger or, or disgust or depression or frustration at home. If you can lose it there with that, you can lose it here in worship. It's the same emotional palette that God wrote into you in your DNA. So it's up to you how you use it. And as for me, I'm sorry, I'd rather be remembered as the guy, and I am. It's awful. I cry at weddings, funerals, baby dedications, sermons, installations, prayer meetings. I cry all the time. I carry a hanky as a matter of conviction. Because if I don't, my sleeves are all going to be stained. I'd rather be known as that, that the guy that just loses it on everybody all the time and the guy that's so moody that you never know which Raymond Woodward you're going to meet when you walk in the door. And the most important place and the most important door that I walk in isn't that one back there. It's the door of my home when I walk out of that door and I walk back to my family. Let me hasten. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another. So now Paul has expanded your circle of influence beyond your home, your wife, your marriage, your children, your parenting. He's expanded it to the church. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. If you're going to provoke somebody, you don't provoke them to anger. You don't provoke them to frustration. You don't provoke them by some stupid competition where you're comparing yourself among yourselves. You provoke them to love and to good works. And then and only then, he says the verse we love. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But why do we come together? Why don't, the, why don't apostolic pastors and saints believe in the lone ranger Christian who sits at home on their couch and does church online? Why don't we believe that? Because we need to get together. Uh, we need to assemble together. We don't forsake that as some do. But when we get together, what do we do? We exhort one another. You see, there's a powerful connection in this room because we're all apostolic men, all wanting to serve Jesus, all wanting to raise up precious, prayerful kids, all wanting to have good marriages, and all wanting to go to heaven at the end of our life whenever or however that happens. So there's a great value in being together because your testimony blesses me. Your worship 
encourages me. Your response to the word of God. And by the way, when any pastor anywhere, experienced or otherwise, great speaker or otherwise, when they say, let's come to the altar, you should be wearing a path in the carpet and leading your family to engage in what the man of God just preached. COVID-19 has turned us all into a bunch of consumers and observers. And if you're back to church in the building, but your brain hasn't kicked in yet, it's time to engage in everything that we engaged in before that stupid pandemic and even more because we got some catching up to do. If there ever was a time you need to lead your family to the altar, it's now. If there ever was a time you need to lead your family in worship, your wife shouldn't be the one doing all the heavy lifting spiritually. She shouldn't be the one praying over the kids exclusively. She shouldn't be the one, uh, you know, disciplining the kids exclusively and, and having devotions with the kids exclusively. That's your job. You should be engaged. You should be leading your home. Paul said, exhort one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. One of the biggest threats to the generation we are now raising is the breakdown of the family. Only one third of children born in your country will live with both biological parents through age 18. I'll tell you how that affects us. 85% of children with behavior disorders, they're from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 70% of teen pregnancies are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists are from fatherless homes. 75% of teens in drug abuse centers are from fatherless homes homes. 70% of juveniles in correctional institutions are from fatherless homes. 85% of youths in prison are from fatherless homes. And 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 30 or 40 years ago in America, uh, your specialists and your psychologists, they believed that poverty and racial discrimination were primarily responsible for juvenile crime and behavioral problems. Now, nearly all of the evidence points to family breakup as the real culprit. And it predicts, and we're already seeing a societal catastrophe if we don't turn that trend around. So how do you buck the trend for your child's future? It's by committing your life totally to the Lord Jesus, getting involved integrally in your local church, and raising your family to do the same. End of story. It's disappeared now, but it sat on the front page of the website for the men's organization, Promise Keepers, for years. It's telling, it's convicting, it's powerful. When a child leads the way to church, when a child is the first one to come to an apostolic altar and get saved and then they go home and influence their family, when a child is, they lead the way to church, three and a half percent of those families will end up 
in that apostolic church. When a mom or a wife, when she's the first one to get saved, when she's the first one to head for the altar, when she is the one that makes that determination to follow Jesus, when she leads the way, when it's a mom or a wife, 17% of those families follow. When a dad or a husband leads the way to church, 93% of those families statistically will follow the Lord. It's Father's Day weekend, gentlemen. It's men's conference in West Virginia. Gentlemen, God doesn't just have you here so you can hear a few inspirational messages and walk home and say, well, that was good to be together. God has you here to be challenged and changed. God has you here to be not only instructed but directed. God has assignments for you waiting at home and waiting in your home church. You could be the best friend your pastor has ever had. Not if you need, you don't need to go to coffee with him. He doesn't have time to go for coffee with you every day. You could be his best friend if you just say, Pastor, point me in the right direction. And if it involves a mop and a broom, thank you. I'll do it. I'll be glad to. And you can also be the best friend to your son and the best friend to your daughter. One statement that I read that convicts me is that a father is a boy's first hero and a daughter's first love. You think about that for a while and pray over it a couple of times. That'll change the way you think about your family. I thank God for this meeting and I'm so grateful for your kind attention this morning. And I have enough confidence in the word of God and the spirit of God that God has spoken to somebody in the last few moments. And I want you to lift up your hands, but not just your hands. I want you to lift up your voice. I want you to lift up your voice like you know you need to lift it up in your home. Some of you need to go home from this weekend and you need to walk into your living room and announce to God, the devil, and your family that I've changed and this changes. Would you just 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 a sec, guys? I, I want you to wheel around. I know we're like whatever, because it's men's conference. But but think football huddle. I want you to just grab another couple of guys by the shoulder and get in a little circle across those pews. And I want you to pray not just for you, but for them too. Would you just do it now? Lift up your voice. Don't let them lift up their voice at a football game more than you lift up your voice to pray at an apostolic men's conference. Jesus challenge us and change us Jesus move us and motivate us Jesus speak to us by your spirit direct us in the Holy Ghost 